Hello world, welcome to Keep Calm and Cyber On. We bring you cybersecurity news, tips, and tech simplified so that you can protect your everyday life. Today is February 25th, 2018. Uh, I am Matt Lembright. A quick bio on me is uh, I am the CEO and co-founder of Enabled. Uh, it's enabldsecurity.com. Um, and I uh, spent seven and a half years in the Army and did some work in the private cybersecurity sector. Uh, my co-host co is Bob Stasio. Bob? Hi, I'm Bob Stasio. I also served in the Army for about seven years doing intelligence work, uh, worked at the National Security Agency, and currently work in the private sector doing cybersecurity. Uh, and you can follow me and some of the stuff I do on Twitter at, at Bob Stasio. And uh, we're, I'll, uh, I'll have a, we have another co-host today, that's John Schaefer. So John, if you would uh, introduce yourself. Hey, John Schaefer, uh, like the other two, I was in the Army, uh, five years active duty, and I'm currently in the reserves. Uh, I'm a cyber analyst supporting a DOD contract currently, um, and I enjoy cybersecurity and looking forward to talking to you guys. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Um, okay, so we're going to do a quick rundown of our format, uh, just so you, everybody knows what they're getting out of this. So. The idea here and the goal is that we take cybersecurity news that you hear about uh, in your everyday lives and try to break that down so that you can apply it and use it in your life. Because a lot of times we hear a lot about uh, what we should be concerned about or we hear scary stories about people getting hacked uh, online or in the news and we don't know exactly what happened or how we can use that information. And our goal today is to make it useful for you. So today we're going to talk about the Winter Olympics getting hacked. That's right, the 2018 uh, Winter Olympics were hacked. Um, it wasn't a well-publicized story, um, but uh, we do have a couple articles here. Um, one uh, that was earlier on in the month uh, from a website called CyberScoop, and the other one actually published uh, last night uh, from the Washington Post, which Bob is gonna talk about. But our first author, uh, his name is Chris Bing, uh, he's at Bing underscore Chris on Twitter. Uh, his first article was published on February 12th, 2018. And the title was Atos, IT provider for Winter Olympics, was hacked months before opening ceremony uh, in a cyber attack. And so uh, the basic takeaway here is that he says uh, on Friday, the official 2018 Winter Olympics website went down for several hours causing a disruption to ticket sales and downloads during the opening ceremony. Localized Wi-Fi networks surrounding the games in South Korea also became temporarily unavailable in the preceding hours. So right here, it looks like we have a website that went down and some of their Wi-Fi networks uh, in Pyongyang for the Olympics were down as well. Um, it said, uh, some of his further reporting says that the malware will, will force connected computers to crash, become unresponsive and otherwise not function properly. Uh, and then finally, he mentions a couple other details. One is that the infection vector, in other words, the way that the bad guys got in, is unknown. Uh, and it also says that um, the attackers uh, harvested dozens of login credentials, in other words, usernames, usernames and passwords, uh, from privileged users of sev several authentic domains belonging to an actual Olympics organization. Um, so that's the first article we have. Um, that we're going to talk about today. He also uh, published another article talking a little bit more about uh, attribution and some of the effects, but uh, Bob's going to cover uh, Ellen Nakashima's article from the Washington Post. Bob? Hi. Uh, yeah, so 
the interesting kind of twist in the article with Ellen Nakashima's uh, piece, I think she kind of added another twist to the story. So a couple of interesting points here. It looks like she kind of honed in on the attribution of this hack to Russian state actors. Um, so it looks like, you know, usually in, in Russia, there's usually two state actor groups that are talked about. It's the FSB or the GRU. Uh, and the GRU is the Russian kind of military unit. I, I would say it's kind of the equivalent of, equivalent of U.S. Cyber Command in the United States. Uh, there's apparently some linkage to that group. Uh, in addition, what they were trying to do is actually create a false flag operation. So not only did they hack onto, allegedly hack onto the IT systems of the Olympics, but they actually tried to make it look like it came from North Korea. So, you know, what's what's better than actually hacking on your target and getting the data, making it look like it was somebody else. Uh, and that's and that's looks like what they did, according according to her reporting. Uh, they, they did this uh, bit of a false flag operation there. Um, also talked a little bit about the motive for the attack. And it looks like the motive was perhaps around the fact that many Russian athletes or Russia itself as a country was banned from the Olympics. But some of the athletes still competed as um other Olympic athletes from Russia or Olympic athletes from Russia. And uh, there was, there was a bit of a retribution for Russia being banned for the Olympics. So really interesting article. And I think it actually puts kind of a, a twist and an attribution on this whole situation and makes for a pretty interesting conversation. Yeah. One follow-up question for you, Bob. So you mentioned um, false flag operation, making it look like it comes from somewhere else. Can you explain to the listeners how one might actually go about doing that? Um, basically a lot of times it comes down to a few different things. I guess it would be, you know, making it look like you're coming from certain IP addresses perhaps, or, you know, a lot of times hackers use what they call hop points. Um, so they're not going to hack directly from an IP address in North Korea or Russia, right? That's too obvious. They may go through a server they took over in Malawi or, you know, in Australia or somewhere else. You know, maybe it's at a university or some other kind of widely known server. Um, and certain hot points are attributed to, to various actors. So if you see it's coming from a particular IP address, you may think it's coming, it's attributed to North Korea or Russia. And Russia possibly... Assert, they, they took over some of these hot points and maybe use them. That could be one way. Um, another way is leaving artifacts of malware behind on the victim. So they Russia may have gotten in and used their own malware to do so. Uh, or, or in this case, it looks like it was actually credential theft that, that got them on. But once they got in and they were roaming around the network and they allegedly put uh, some destructive malware on, they may have used malware that's maybe commonly used or attributed to a North Korean actor set. So that's kind of some of the methodologies, but this really kind of shows the level of sophistication that we're, we're talking about here. And also kind of matches with the fact that this was very premeditated and pre-planned um, in, in case like this went back all the way to December when the IT vendor was probably setting up uh, their networks. So really a very well thought out, well planned, um, well crafted attack, if it is, in fact, true, according to uh, Ellen's reporting there. Gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of like and to, to give an analogy for some of our listeners, it's kind of like if you're going to if you're going to burglarize a place and you cut off a piece of someone else's hair and leave some sprinkles of hair and DNA around, they're going to be <laughs> looking for that person right instead of you. So, yeah. 
Um, they're essentially trying to frame frame the other yeah. actors what they're doing, right? Yep, so. great way of putting it. Um, awesome. So thank you for that. Um, so John, John, I wanted to ask you real quick. So we've got so now we've got it looks like um, a foreign nation state. Well, I guess it would be a foreign nation state unless it was us, but it obviously wasn't. But uh, we have a nation state that looks like they attacked um, the IT provider for the Winter Olympics um, in order to get access, get credentials so that they could get a hold of things that they could essentially disrupt. So it looks like they disrupted the Wi-Fi networks around the Olympic uh, area there as well as uh, the Olympic website. It looks, at least in this part, it looks like it's affecting ticket sales. Can you uh, explain a little bit more about their uh, basically what um, not only ATOS but also the Olympic, the South Korean Olympic Committee? What would they be? What are the assets that they're worried about at this point? Uh, keeping up and kind of looking at for evidence of you know uh, exploitation or hacking. Sure, absolutely. And so immediately when you guys presented the article, the things that came to mind is. If I'm an average person and I'm reading this, like, why do I care? Uh, and, it, you know, unless I'm visiting the website at the time it was taken down or I happen to be hanging out at the Olympic Village and can't get on Wi-Fi, then for the most part, I don't care. Um, but the big picture is, uh, well, two things come to mind. One is you should plan your protection strategy um, that's aligned with the threat you anticipate you're going to face, right? So. In this case, the, like the Olympics is notoriously a huge honeypot for hackers. Like, you know, I know Sochi was hacked. Um, other Olympics have had, you know, hacks or hacking attempts. Um, so if I'm the uh, IT service provider and I know that's what I'm facing, potentially state level actors, then I need to up my game potentially and say, OK, like these are some of the best guys in the business. They've probably got some good malware. They're going to try different vectors to get in the door. Um, I need to build a pretty comprehensive platform. And in doing so, to your point, Matt, I need to tailor that to um, kind of what the bad outcomes are going to be, right? So what am I actually worried about protecting? Like, is it okay if the Wi-Fi goes down? But I absolutely can't afford to have the website go down, right? And that helps me prioritize my protection strategy. Um, so, you know, I am not on the IT service provider side for the Olympics. So potentially they said, you know, we can afford to have these things happen, but we can't have them hack into the database that contains the personal information of the athletes, for example. Or, or That's just an example that they might be protecting, and they might have done a great job doing that, right? And then this was sort of like what the Russians were, I should say, Russians allegedly were able to do, um, given you know what they were able to hack into. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up a good point, too, is that we're... You know, we're, we see the outcome of this, right, is that a website went down, the Wi-Fi went down. But, you know, number one, we don't know if that was a consolation prize for the hackers, right? That could have just been like, well, this is the only thing that we can get our hands on because possibly the number two point is that it is very possible that ATOS and the, um, the folks that are running the Olympics there did prioritize other sensitive data that was protected in this case. Uh, and the fallout was only just these two. So that's definitely a question, but the, the, the takeaway for the listeners is prioritization, right? Um, because you're not gonna be able to always protect everything. You at least have to have a, a starting point and at least one, one most valuable piece of data, which we sometimes call crown jewels. So, um, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. So the techniques these guys used were pretty good, but they weren't, I would say like, um, on, on par with like a, a Stuxnet type, you know, very, very carefully planned. It was carefully planned, but um, for example, they're stealing um, 
they attempted to steal credentials from a browser by looking at the SQLite database, which is a relatively unprotected like cache of credentials. Like best practices have dictated, like don't store credentials in your browser for at least probably a decade. And yet, obviously, people are still doing it if these guys are trying to steal credentials in your browser. Um, so basic security hygiene comes into play here, regardless of what you're doing, right? Well, I think that's an interesting point because you, you know, in this case, we're attributing this to a nation state actor. There's, there's reporting that's indicating that, right? And every time people think about a nation state actor, they're thinking, oh, it's going to be a zero day attack or it's going to be some super sophisticated engineered um, attack. And, and they got on seemingly by doing credential theft, right? So could be done by a script kitty, right? Could be you know, sending emails to get on using, using credential theft or drive by downloads. I mean, it's, it's actually, you know, like you're saying, it's relatively unsophisticated. So even the most sophisticated actors nation states they're going to they're going to use the the easiest way to get on first you know they're not going to burn their most valuable tools and it's just kind of a lesson learned like th this this company this IT firm that that's protecting the olympics you know m maybe they didn't think of probably some of the most basic methodologies of how they could be infiltrated by by something like credential theft and if you look at you know you look at the DNC as well look at the John Podesta hack that occurred also attributed to Russia right uh, according to the to the U U.S. intelligence, um, that's a similar methodology that they used by using a phishing email that was uh, harvesting credentials from from Mr. Podesta when it indicated he needed to change his password. So, you know, don't always think. You know, as you're thinking of the threat that's attacking you, you may if it's a sophisticated threat, you may go to the high end and think it's going to be an advanced persistent threat. It's going to be a zero day attack. Not not the case sometimes. You really do have to get the basics right, and that's what they're going to try first and, and looks like what they used here. Yeah, and I think it's also worth taking a look at what was their motivation, right? I mean, we'll never know what's in the in the brains of, uh, of anybody that's doing the hacking necessarily, but you can see that um, it looks like their goal was disruption, right? This is a, a limited time span event, uh, and they have a limited amount of time to make an impact. Uh, and so it looks like that the greatest impact that they could actually leverage was basically disruption and shutting some things down, you know, because if they're, if they're in there stealing data, which they could have definitely well have done, uh, whether that might have been athlete bio data or uh, maybe even some uh, other, other data that allows them to get into some other clients that ATOS might have, um, that effect won't be seen for at least a couple months until they can pull that data off and sift through it and everything. But to make some sort of... Um, some na or some uh, international splash i think that they needed to uh to shut something down so uh which kind of follows the mo of our of our uh good friends to the east there so um so all right so we're talking about a few assets here in this case again the the website went down and it looks like some local wi-fi went down and obviously it looks like they compromised a few devices uh, at the very least whether it you know whether it be through their browsers or or who knows we really don't have a whole lot of details on that but the effects that we were able to at least witness that were reported on were the wi-fi going down and the website going down um john can you talk a little bit about what vulnerabilities uh, are inherent in in both wi-fi routers as well as um within some of the websites that are that are set up out there um sure so as bob mentioned uh, in many cases um, if you're trying to protect yourself against a state-level actor, you'll immediately kind of think of, oh, they're going to use some zero-day against me. Like, 
So I either like throw up my hands and say, I, I give up, or I try to build some detection mechanisms. And so even if I don't see directly the vulnerability they're exploiting, um, maybe I see their command and control traffic, right? But having said all that, uh, if you look at, for example, the Verizon data breach uh, report that gets put out every year, um, somewhere in the 95 to 97% of all vulnerabilities that get exploited uh, are over a year old. So basically what that means is they're not using zero days, they're using known vulnerabilities, um, which means it's as easy as just making sure your things are patched. Like a common one that you mentioned for um, hacking Wi-Fi is um, WPS, Wi-Fi protected setup, right? So this came packaged with routers from maybe 10 to five years ago, um, often on by default, which meant you get like a pin and that pin could be used to authenticate to the router um, bypassing the standard WPA2 um, pre-shared key. Um, essentially, it's a, it's a side way to authenticate yourself. Um, and they found it to be relatively weak compared to using the pre-shared key. Hey, John, I'm going to um, interrupt so, you one second. So just, just for our, our listeners out there, if you don't know what WPA2 and all this stuff is, um, the shared key is basically, that's the password that anybody gets to sign on to the Wi-Fi so you, you can use it. So just, sorry, quick caveat there. Go ahead, John. No, no, that's a good point. Exactly. Um, so, so looking for things like that is, is a great way to start. Um, you know, everyone knows like WEP is insecure, but, and WPA is good. But then if you forget about the, the, um, WPS, uh, sometimes that's a vulnerability. Same thing at the website. Uh, in, in many cases, if you just look at, for example, the OWASP top 10, uh, and you have a, you know, vulnerability scanning firm or a pen testing firm, just scan your site to find vulnerabilities that are obvious, um, then they might just bypass that. Now, having said that, it's possible that they used stolen credentials to essentially gain admin access. So I, I could log in as the administrator and change things on the website that way or shut it down that way. I don't think we quite know. But at the same time, like if you harden the front end, you're removing a potential attack vector. You're, you're closing a door that your adversary could use to get in. So that's a great way to start. Awesome, awesome. And then on the, so I'm gonna to touch on the Wi-Fi router piece a little bit. So John mentioned, John, you mentioned some great vulnerabilities that are out there for some of the, some of the stock routers that are out there. And, but you also mentioned admin uh, access on the website. And I wanna, I wanna mention that on routers as well. So for those of you who don't know, um, basically any, any router that you get, you're usually gonna get one from your internet provider, right? Um, some people use other routers in conjunction with them. Basically, the moral of the story is every router comes with a default password and every router uh, has an IP address that basically anybody on the internet can find. So the goal is, is that you need to change your default password on your router because your, the default router on your password is not the same as the what John mentioned before, the WPA2 shared key. That's just to get onto the Wi-Fi in the first place. The default password is something that you need to change on the router so that you can so you can make sure that you're the only one that can control access to the router, if that makes sense. The other thing that you want to think about too is that we're talking a lot about who's managing the Wi-Fi and all that stuff. The other part of that too is there's a lot of um, a lot of folks that are that are Olympic fans that are out there who are using their mobile devices, they're on their laptops, they're on their tablets and they're relying on that Olympic Wi-Fi that's out there. But now we know that it's compromised, and that's kind of the takeaway, right? When we go into a Starbucks, we go to an airport, we go into a hotel, we don't know what the security on that router is. We might know our home network is secure, but we have no idea what the public Wi-Fi is doing or who might own that router, so to speak. So one of the things that we talk about that you can use is what's called a, a VPN or a virtual private network. 
network. And basically what that does is it connects you to a computer somewhere else that is a safe computer that allows you to browse from there. And it encrypts your traffic so that if somebody is on that router and looking at what you're doing, they just see a bunch of garbledygook encryption. So those are a couple really key takeaways that I want our listeners to uh, to hone in on when they're, when they're looking at locking down their connectivity. Um, and also when it comes to a website as well, for those, for those of you out there that aren't hosting your own website yourself using something like WordPress or Squarespace or something like that, again, a lot of them have a logon and a password. If two-factor authentication is available, use it. Uh, and then the last thing too is make sure, especially like with WordPress, that you're updating the software that allows you to manage your page because um, a lot of times there's vulnerabilities in that code as well. And it's just like anything else, just like your operating system, you're gonna have to operate that too. Uh, because that's how bad guys can find ways in. So, yeah, Matt, I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because um, you know WordPress as an organization does a pretty decent job of keeping their own code relatively secure and stable. Um, but essentially, like plugins, think of that as a, a community sourced resource. Uh, so anybody who has a little bit of coding knowledge could write a plugin, submit it, um, and then get that approved to be a, a, a legitimate WordPress plugin. Um, and sometimes they're maintained, sometimes they're not, and sometimes the people that build them know what they're doing and sometimes they don't. Uh, so you have to be very careful about using plugins and that is potentially a great way to get in the door if you're a bad guy. So, Yeah, absolutely. Any type of software you add is, is going to be a potential, what they call it, it increases your attack space. So it increases the amount of places that a, a bad guy can use to, to hone in on you or attack you. Um, Bob, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, so we're talking, you know, kind of drilling this down. I, w I want to kind of zoom back a little bit, uh, zoom out, if you will. So for ATOS or for a large corporation, especially if they're, if they're setting up kind of a temporary network, uh, but for a very uh, high visibility and likely highly to be attacked event, what, what are some other things that, uh, that they can do uh, in addition to, you know, making sure that they lock down all of their assets? Is there some other added protection that they can look at implementing on a short-term basis? Yeah, I think especially for an event like this that's going to be very high profile, um, I think it first starts with kind of a threat assessment. And I think John alluded to this earlier where you have to think of, how can I be attacked? Who's going to attack me? And how are they, how, you know, what methodologies are they going to use? Um, and you have to derive some indicators to look for from that. And this practice is sometimes referred to as threat hunting. Uh, and what I, I think a lot of organizations have started to stand up some of these units, these cells, uh, but it, temporary organizations generally don't. They kind of maybe do some of the bare minimum and just get the the cast the, the border and moat strategy going and maybe patch their vulnerabilities hopefully. Um, but doing this threat hunting methodology where you're kind of looking for indicators of an intrusion before something's telling you about it, uh, it would have actually been pretty effective here because there was a pretty long lead time that Russia was supposedly on the network, you know, since December, you're talking months. So they got in probably through a technique that was very hard to detect, but when they got in, they probably left some type of trail, some type of command and control, some type of breadcrumbs that could be detected. And it's a very manual labor intensive hunt to find these things. And I think kind of instituting that as a practice is, is gonna be very successful here. Not a lot of companies do it, only really 
the most sophisticated ones that I've seen in the space, like you're talking like the Fortune 100 companies are really starting to do it, and they're being very effective at it. But, you know, these temporary companies that stand up for high-profile events should really think about doing that and, and just dedicating a, just a little bit of resources to it. I think the, the, um, the return on investment will be quite high for something like that. Yeah, I think that's a so, – oh, go ahead, John. No, Bob, I just want to add, like, something very concrete to that. Um, in this particular case, the organization that was providing the IT service could look at it and say, okay, given the, the event that we mm -hmm. are building – um, who's going to attack us? And North Korea is probably on the list. Russia's on the list. China might be on the list. Like, so in, in this case, like, I, I read the uh, Talos intelligence blog from Cisco, and the malware actually used some of the same um, techniques and indicators as two previous Russian malware campaigns, Bad Rabbit and Yetia. Uh, so in that case, if I knew, okay, these are potential threat actors that are going to attack me, I could build in custom like indicators of compromise and other threat intelligence capabilities to look for that type of activity in my network while I'm doing my hunting. So that's a great point, Bob. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not, I don't know Talos and I don't, you know, I'm not saying they didn't or didn't, did not do this. Um, but I, you know, I, I often see it as a, an issue that a lot of companies run into. Uh, they think, oh, well, you know, we're, we're, they're going to become very reactive. They just kind of set up the, the block and tackle strategy, the castle moat strategy, okay, wait for something to happen and we'll respond to it. Kind of kind of strategy and very few sit back and think strategically about it just even that few sentences that you said you know who's going to attack us how are they going to do it we're, we're the olympics we're going to be a big target we're going to be targeted by nation states um you know people think it's you know it's not for them to do that it's not appropriate maybe too high level but it really is one of the most helpful things you can do at first and then derive a strategy to look for these threats from there so good point there yeah, and I think, Bob, you brought up a, a couple of different things. One, I, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about ATOS. That's one thing. But I think it's I think it's worth taking a look at, you know, because we've talked a little bit how some folks can apply this themselves. You know, we've got a home router, a small business network. They're running their own website. But there are folks out there that are kind of a, a level up from that and still and I think still need to hear a lot of this. Um, mm -hmm. and, I th and I think part of that is, again, we don't know what their what the risk assessment looked like from from the standpoint of the South Koreans running this Olympics. Um, we do know that obviously they did have some have some difficulties. They did have a couple things go down due to hacking. Um, so there is the result that they were hacked. Um, so we don't know if that's necessarily an accepted risk on their part. But we'd urge uh, folks out there to you got to think about really what you're trying to protect. Number one. Um, and what is acceptable to lose and what isn't. Um, and then the other part of that too is um, being, and Bobby, you kind of mentioned on this, I think John did too, is that be realistic about the threats. That's not to say that, you know, if you're running your own Etsy shop and you have a web page on Squarespace that you need to be worried about, you know, the, I forget the Russian acronym for their name. I'm, I'm bad at acronyms now that I got out of the army, but the, uh, the Russian, you're not gonna have Russian military guys necessarily knocking down your door to take your website down. But this is a significant event that had been planned for at least four years, if not longer. Um, and I'd like to point out one other thing, too, is that in that planning, um, I don't think that the Olympic uh, folks running this really took secu security as seriously as they should, because ATOS, from what I can understand, is an IT firm. Uh, mm -hmm. And anybody that kind of knows the current state of quote unquote IT at this point is that Cybersecurity really has to be a separate function. And when you're running an organization and you have 
operations um, run by the same folks that are doing security, security is always going to lose because security, more security always means less connectivity uh, and less operational capability. That's just kind of the way it works. Unfortunately, we're not seamless enough yet to where security doesn't affect someone's uh, operations, but it does. Uh, and so when an IT company is worried about um, connectivity and making sure everything's connected and working seamlessly, security then takes can take a backseat. And I think that's kind of what we saw a little bit here. Um, for this type of event, for the not only for it being the Olympics and for Russia having purportedly done some things in the past to a lot of other people, not to mention interfering in Olympics decades past, um, it was a very probable thing that they were going to be attacking this, if not others. Um, so I think, like what Bob said, some active monitoring. You know, for the folks out there, we're, we're talking about active monitoring and threat hunting. Basically, think of it as antivirus with a brain uh, on a larger, a much larger scale, uh, and humans looking at that data. Um, you need that kind of real-time patrolling when it's this kind of a high-stakes event. Much the same that you'd see physical security stepped up for, say, the New York Times, or New York Times, Times Square uh, New Year's Eve, for example. So, so yeah, so I agree with everything that you guys said. Um, okay, that's pretty much it for today. Um, we don't have any questions from anyone, so we're still waiting for all of your questions out there. Um, tweet us at Keep Calm Cyber so you can ask us some questions for next time. Um, Bob, did you have any other any other takeaways that you wanted to shout out to the folks out there? Uh, no, I think it's just going to be an interesting couple of days going forward. Now that this is in the Washington Post, there may be a little more attention to it. So I'm interested to see what happens next. If you guys want to tweet us any questions about it as it becomes more relevant in the news, uh, you can tweet us at um, our Twitter handle, Matt will give at the end, but I'm at, at Bob Stasio, and feel free to send me any questions. Awesome. Thank you, Bob. John? I'm good. It was really great being on the podcast with you guys today. Thanks, John. Hopefully you'll uh, join us in the future as well. Um, so we will tweet uh, the URL to this podcast at Keep Calm Cyber on Twitter. Um, so check us out there. Uh, it will be posted, I believe, on SoundCloud, uh, and we're going to try to push it to some of the other podcast uh, repositories as well. So that is it for us today. Um, I want to thank everybody for joining. Again, further questions, we can always talk about Olympics again, too, especially as we get more details. So if you have questions about this podcast or anything else, feel free to tweet us. And thank you for listening. Artificial energy